Hi, and welcome to the first series of podcasts from Physical Culture Research in Education, which is a research group based at the University of Edinburgh, with an interest in topics such as health and wellbeing, pedagogy, teacher professional learning and digital cultures, but with much of the work that we do focusing on the subject of physical education. My name is Shirley Gray, and together with my colleague Andrew Horrell, we have recorded this series of six podcasts where we talk to PE teachers who have engaged in a practitioner inquiry. These are short podcasts of around 20 to 25 minutes where we find out what motivated their inquiry, what they did and what they learned. Hopefully our discussions will inspire others to reflect on their practice and even carry out their own professional inquiry. podcast we're going to be talking to Hamish Townsend. Hamish uh, completed his undergraduate degree and then excitingly decided to take on a master's degree. He did that full-time uh, and he's just recently secured a full-time post at the Royal High School and that's really good news for him and it's great he's going to talk to us uh, this evening because he's going to talk about this master's thesis which focused on activist teaching. So the next voice we're going to hear is from Hamish. Hi Hamish. Hi there Andrew, nice to see you today. Thanks very much for taking the time to do this. Really uh, excited to hear what, you, what you've been up to, what you've been doing and find out the, the kind of the impact of this study in your thinking and perhaps your practice as well. So thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate that. Hi Hamish, how are you doing? Hi, all right, Shirley. So do you want to tell us um, a little bit about yourself? So, you know, we already know you've just secured your job at Royal High, but what other things have you been doing? Um, so yes, yeah, we we about myself. Uh, as you said, uh, I did my undergrad with with you guys um, at, at Edinburgh University. So I've been been here in uh, Edinburgh for five years now. But I'm originally from the north of Scotland. Uh, just myself as a as a person, been mad into my sport from from a very young age, as you'd imagine. And through doing a lot of stuff with my, my hockey, got into to coaching, and, and that progressed into motivating to want to move on to 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 become a PE teacher. So since since my undergraduate. I really enjoyed my uh, research project as part of that and it, and it did quite well at the end which I was very happy with so uh, it kind of became a bit of a, a motivator or kind of tipped my interest to staying on for this further bit of study and um, so the that further study was as masters in ed- educational uh, research uh, so it was about developing the research skills hopefully to continue uh, to use once uh, um, I went back into to school so I, I've just finished off now my probationary year uh, which was also at the at the Royal and and that's me now sort of set up with them for for the first seal which is very exciting. That's great news for you Hamish uh, and um, so could you tell us a little bit about your master's thesis you know why did you you know pick the particular topic you did how did you get interested in that? Yeah um, so as it uh, kind of stems from the work that I did during during our undergrad um, which was looking at the PE new sport experience of, of, of gay males and how that impacted their PE experience, sorry, their, their physical activity experience later in life. And then throughout my kind of master's year, it was sort of noticing that in terms of approaches to teaching and learning within PE, there's, you know, lots of kind of models that um, were sort of stemming out and being discussed quite heavily, but maybe a gap uh, missing in in terms of ones that were addressing social justice concerns in PE. So there's quite a lot of work coming out speaking about um, social justice concerns in PE, but, but maybe less having sort of practical ways of teachers being able to to challenge those. So what kind of models are you, are you talking about here in terms of referring to 
So the ones that Nessa uh, probably had experience with, um, with with other schools was looking at, you know, your uh, teacher games for understanding, your for education and uh, cooperative learning and all these ones that we're maybe used to, to using with with pupils. Uh, and sometimes I, I think believe that that's, it's a great way of, of looking at the sort of social element of of a P, but maybe not uh, digging into some of the, the challenges that that presents within the, the subject. So the, the idea of uh, this sort of research project was looking at how there's some maybe new models coming out there. So this one being activist pedagogy, uh, which is about looking at how teachers can support young people to identify, uh, negotiate uh, and then take action to address challenges in their uh, in their PE context. So within Glasgow, uh, Glasgow schools, there was a project looking at how that had been done with adolescent girls looking at challenges of embodiment. Uh, or over in Brazil, it was working with socially vulnerable boys uh, and it was looking at, you know, what was the challenge in their environment about sort of some other sort of dangerous elements, which actually meant that when they were out of their sports context, they had sort of some risk factors to move into and they sort of came up with the solutions to to avoid those. So what would you describe as being some of the key features or part of the essence of this kind of activist pedagogy? So it kind of had two sort of uh, main phases to it. So the first part was looking at building that foundation with young people. Um, and the, the main sort of body of that was about firstly building really strong relationships and making sure that you understood who was in your class, that they knew you and you knew them really well. It was about broadening their experiences of um, what PE or physical activity could be. Um, and it was also looking to support them during that sort of foundation building stage and identifying what is maybe a, a barrier or a challenge in their context specifically. And then the second phase is the, the activist phase uh, where it's about then the, them taking action. So there's a little bit of time in between where these uh, young people have maybe identified what the challenge is and they're keen to take action. So then they kind of collaboratively work back and forth uh, with uh, one another and with the, the, the teacher uh, to decide what action they'd like to take. So in some instances, it was looking at uh, teachers and pupils creating these sort of themes that the class wanted to explore through their PE. Uh, other times it was uh, groups looking to, to gather some information from the school. So during their PE classes, they would look at how they might go and survey the school to find out how others viewed this barrier so they could share that information. Uh, and for, for some other groups, it was quite tangible changes they looked to make. So going back to that, that Brazil example, they noticed that environment out of their sports context was particularly dangerous. So they looked at developing a leadership program, which meant that those young people spent more time within a sports setting opposed to uh, within the, the favela area uh, that they were housed in. So you carried out some research in this area. You're very close to this now. Can you tell us a little bit about what that research was? So what did you actually do? Yep. So um, this this was called a rapid evidence assessment. So maybe not the the most exciting term, but uh, it was kind of to, to summarise, looking at what had been written on this topic and um, having quite a tight criteria to what I wanted to to look into and then and searching for it. And um, so I was I was looking at the PE setting specifically, because that's of, of interest to myself. It was looking at practitioners views. So there's a lot of theoretical stuff written on this topic, but I wanted sort of a tangible understanding of how this could be used in practice. And I was also looking to see if it was being put into practice consistently by uh, by teachers. So that really helps narrow down the, the papers that I looked at. So in total, uh, I was looking at 14. 
so some people might just think about sort of desktop research, but actually this is a particular methodology to to decide which papers you're going to look at and, and ruling in some and ruling out some. So you how how easy did you find that? Is that quite a difficult I, bit of process to go through? It took a bit of getting used to. Um, so I, originally it was quite quite a lot of papers that I had coming back and I had a little bit of software to help me kind of narrow that down a little bit. So the I originally got about 1,200 papers come through um, and then sort of I had quite a, a strict criteria each stage to to filter them out um, and then once I got to, down to my last 50 it was it was it was much easier to, to then do a, a quick scan and sort from so, there. So to get from that 1200 to 50 possibly just what an afternoon's work for you there? Oh yeah that t- took maybe a day to get to, to that part <laughs> um, or, or a little longer and then the 50 to the 14 uh, that took took a wee bit longer. I've got quite quite bad dyslexia so um, I have to use text-to-speech to do all my reading stuff so uh, that that was definitely another little barrier in the way. But uh, once you had your final 14, it was quite satisfying to know, all right, this is what I'm going to be digging into from here. And it was quite nice. So from that point, it was just about really familiarising yourself with those papers. And then it was about uh, kind of systematically working out what the themes are within within those papers. So what were the themes, Hamish? What did you learn? What were the key things that came out of this? So I guess the in terms of how it had been uh, consistently understood by by practitioners, it was a, a nice big tick in the box. So uh, it had been applied really consistently across lots of the different settings and consistently sort of here in the UK and in Scotland, as well as the kind of international settings. because there was ones done in the in Norway, in uh, Brazil and in the States, uh, but they were quite well rooted in the same kind of underlying principles. So there's within models, models based practice, often speaking about uh, the non-negotiables. This was something that was also a, a, a theme or were present within this approach. And they were sort of relatively consistently uh, adhered to across the papers. Uh, one thing which was slightly different is rather than having sort of learning outcomes, which is often sort of spoken about within these teaching approaches, they were saying uh, sort of within models, there is learning aspirations. So it's this idea that you they were adaptable depending on what barriers the young people were identifying and depending on what you wanted your projects or your actions to be focused on so uh, these were learning aspirations because they were things that you're working towards but were obviously very adaptable the setting it might change as you were going through the the activist process yeah because if i'm right in saying my knowledge of the activist approach inquiry is built into it so the young people and the teachers are constantly inquiring into what they're doing Mm-hmm. to then make decisions about where to go next so that that would make sense yeah. why why is consistency so important then why is that something that you focused on so i think uh, consistency was just to um explore if it had a potential to be uh, an approach that could be widely applicable uh, across PE teaching so uh, i remember throughout our our undergraduate and throughout my teaching placements and my experience out in schools so far models based practice has been a way in which teachers have managed to kind of diversify the way that they work with young people in quite a manageable way so there has been work looking at you know how models based practice can help um, people feel a bit more confident in in managing to change the way they teach uh, and those sort of steps that once you feel confident in how you follow um, the sort of structure of a model, you can then be a little bit more malleable as you have that experience and confidence behind you. Um, so having consistency in a way that an approach is being used can help kind of have it that foundation of being considered a model and hopefully give 
teachers the confidence to use that design and that structure to move forward and then hopefully it challenged some of those social justice concerns or look into them uh, when maybe that's not something that's that's necessarily being done currently. Hamish, I'm really interested in um, these studies and whether you had a sense from reading them whether this was the first time any of these researchers and or teachers were using this approach or did they appear to be experienced in using the approach? So that was that was quite an interesting uh, sort of theme that, that also came out. So uh, the, the the second part of, of, of my study, which is looking at the experience of practitioners, uh, you had quite a range of experiences uh, and that was kind of built into part of what helped teachers feel more confident using the approaches that they had as a community of practice to work with. And often that community of practice had a diversity of experience in terms of um, you had often consider like somebody on the boundaries who was an expert. Uh, and as a result, the, the person who was sort of delivering, who was teaching at that point, would sort of ref, uh, work back and forth between the, the expert in this approach to um, you know, go over some thoughts or challenges they were having and kind of unpick how they might go and address them. Uh, within the study in, in Glasgow, all the practitioners, I think five teachers as part of that study, went to kind of like a workshop day uh, where they got to kind of look into what they might plan and do. They had a, a sort of an online platform that was there to be used for them to discuss problems or challenges they were having. And then uh, that was kind of to help help them out a little bit. So most of the people involved in the study, uh, they usually were new or fairly new to the approach and they are working back and forth with someone uh, with more experience or as part of a community of practice that had a mixture of experiences. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think throughout these podcasts, that might be a bit of a theme, the fact that these teachers who are engaging in an inquiry or trying to change something about their practice, they're not doing it on their own. They're working with within a community of practice or with somebody who's more experienced or even with someone from out with their school. Um, so that's really interesting that that came out of the, the research as well. Any Before we move on, any final f- um, key findings you want to share with us? Yes, yeah, so I think uh, in terms of, uh, of a wee, wee bit of balance, I think with all kind of um, models-based practice or, or looking at, at new approaches for teaching and learning, uh, the biggest barrier that was mentioned by, by these practitioners was time. Uh, I think that's always the case because there's these general constraints that happen within any NEP department in terms of facilities. But I think one paper that actually delved into that that challenge where it was looking at is there space for an approach like this within the PE setting? And they kind of delved into each area to do with like the timetabling to do, well, the time to do with teacher's experience and speaking about space to manoeuvre within within the PE setting, to which it was saying that actually these challenges within the activist approach aren't unique to the activist approach. These are challenges that are experienced across any kind of change to teaching and learning. I think it was trying to sort of Gently tip the hat to say, well, that's you know, no, no, some of these barriers aren't really an excuse to not engaging with the uh, with this approach. You know, there's lots of things out there, and this is an important topic to explore. So you've explored a topic, you've looked into this in some detail. We're we're seeking to get some good nuggets of information from you, Hamish here. So if you could give us what two things, three things, what are your take home messages after the work you've been doing? So after after the work I've been doing, the big take home one uh, is about the back and forth 
between yourself and working with young people and that's something that I've really it's been really beneficial this year I've not necessarily got to put a full uh, I'd say a, a faithful enactment of the activist approach with some of the challenges between home learning and and uh, etc but it's that actually really helped enhance the experience so for instance during the entire period of home learning uh, start of each lesson was always this back and forth where it'd be you know what's working what's not and that wasn't necessarily about you know what we're exploring it was more about kind of the logistics and trying to improve young person's experience but if we we're speaking about that building the foundation phase which was about developing those relationships it really demonstrated to young people it was like right I, I want to make sure that this is the best environment we can have for you and then at once I'd got some feedback uh, you said we did kind of action uh, was was found really useful uh, I still although haven't put put into full practice yet and um, definitely some elements of that and the benefits that they were associated with within these studies you can also kind of pinch and use at points which uh, which I found particularly beneficial so I guess the element of student voice I've found really be- uh, beneficial in terms of getting some buy-in during difficult times. That's really nice insights. Thank you. Thanks for that, Hamish. Um, I just have a question to try and tie this in with something you said at the start about the activist approach being related to your undergraduate degree, where you looked at issues of social justice. So I'm wondering how those two things marry together. So you talked before about the back and forth and, and pupil voice, and I can see how that would tie into issues of social justice and critical pedagogies and so on. But have you got any other examples of what makes this a critical approach or what makes this a, an approach that can deal with issues of social justice? So I think often social justice concerns come out from people either not really necessarily being represented or heard or people understanding their needs within uh, within the classroom. So it's something that I can empathise with from my own PE experience. So part of the reason I did my undergraduate project was because I, I'm a gay man and I like as much as I loved my PE sport experience, I do think I probably had a really positive time within it because I was I was good at I was good at PE uh, and you only kind of on upon reflection do I think about actually uh, other young people who are in a similar uh, situation to myself uh, who didn't necessarily have that physicality they didn't have actually a great time in that setting and you notice these kind of hidden spaces within PE that actually lots of different groups are in quite a vulnerable position through sort of uh, practices that are critical like critically look at at the the PE context you can begin to kind of identify where uh, certain young people aren't necessarily having the most positive experience. So for that project, it was looking at uh, the LGBT community. Um, it was actually one thing more recently that um, had kind of come to mind was we've gone through the period of Ramadan. I had actually completely neglected that until people had come and said, oh, actually, I'm going through Ramadan at the moment. And then I had to think, oh, actually, how does my practice make sure I'm meeting uh, that young person's needs? So from there, doing little check-ins at the start of each lesson about their, sort of how they're feeling. And, you know, sometimes absolutely bundles of energy. Great. Let's get going. Uh, but sometimes we're actually might be absolutely gubbed and uh, there's needing some tasks to uh, and ways of being involved in the class that are a little less physical. So I think until crit, sort of critical uh, approaches like this are really handy at identifying the blind spots where uh, young people are having maybe a negative experience in, in PE when of course we want we want them to build really strong relationships with the PE department and and hopefully being active later on. Yeah thanks and I think just knowing about this approach draws your attention to that and that's a good first step I guess making the invisible more visible. 
And I think maybe to, to build on that as well as it's helping draw young people's attention to that and actually naming it. So if if you're feeling uncomfortable within a situation, you feel like needs aren't being met, but you actually can begin to identify a reason for that. It means you can then look at ways to, like it says, to negotiate and, and make changes to it. So unless you know it's there, it's really difficult to then try and make a, a change within that setting. And it just makes me happy that the PE context can do that, you know, yeah. with people like you in it anyway. Hey. <laughs> to ask you a question about that negotiation, um, I mean, what do you think is up for negotiation? What Do you see there being any kind of limits to that or anything that would help other people who are listening and thinking, well, I want to negotiate, but... I haven't got complete freedom. How do I go about it? If I if I offer a choice or I'd set something up, I might actually be raising expectations that I can't meet. And oh gosh, is that a good idea? So any any thoughts around that? Yeah. Um, so interestingly, it, uh, some of the the papers touch on this idea of of negotiation or um, this back and forth between young people, and it's sometimes being misunderstood. So one of the barriers was. To the approach itself was was misunderstand the misunderstanding of of things like student voice being doing what the kid uh, what all, all people say because obviously we want to to make sure that young people are feeling unheard but obviously you know as as teachers you come with expertise yourself and you sometimes know ways that you might be able to enhance a young person's experience that they they don't know about so it's about you taking in that information, so if it's um, an element of student student voice, and about then using your own professional judgment and other information that you have about that class and that context uh, to to kind of be mitigating what's being said and thinking actually what's the best way to 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 address that. So I guess some uh, examples of, of that have been about that building the foundation where you're trying to open up people's experiences of different activities and uh, you want to get suggestions from young people but sometimes they might not be thinking thinking big enough and you might be thinking actually you know let's be a little bit more ambitious here and you can help push push their sort of scope further so it's um not necessarily doing everything that uh, that that people are saying in that in that environment but um also looking to use your own your own judgment within within that that's lovely thanks um it often makes me think about and I'm going to say something and you can tell me if this is this is just in my head or if it also goes with what you've been uh, reading and, and engaging with. But it's, it's that thing if we can move sometimes beyond what we're learning, but actually why we're learning it, why that's part of the curriculum, part of what's happening in in the class, in the lesson for the next five, six weeks, but then really focus on how we learn and how we learn together that that seems to be a way to build that relationship and to that's where you can have some negotiation about how you're doing things you maybe yeah. can't choose the particular space that you're in and maybe it has to be timetabled at nine o'clock on a monday morning and you can't do it at a different time but there's lots of negotiation possible isn't there but then because I, I, negotiation has been something that I think um, PE teachers are, are, are very apt with when it's come to, you know, if you have a fortunate have a, a pool pool within the, the school about changing times and when where you allocate that time to. Or like you say, with you've not got necessary choice in the, the space, but then how you go about using that space and activities that people want to. Uh, accomplish and, and get on with or um or the, actually the classes that you look to do so there's loads of spaces where you can actually say okay what what do we really want to achieve here and what's the purpose of it and okay how how can we make sure that we're doing that in the best way great fascinating stuff 
What advice would you offer, Hamish, to other teachers interested in this topic? So firstly, I think there's some some good ways to find out a bit more about it. And you don't need to do a big, big thing like that, to, a big, big project like that to, to get that info. Uh, a, great, a great way is just choosing some of the key folk to have a, a, a quick a quick look at. So um, it was it was David Kirk was the first person who had spotted with using this approach and just having a, a quick look at, at how uh, how one paper is put into practice is, is really useful and then providing some ideas to oh actually I could I could go and look into it in this way uh, the willingness to just give something a shot is always uh, is, is always well worthwhile and um, you know it does doesn't always work I've, I've tried doing some elements of that uh, that back and forth and, and taking in some some students ideas and it, it, it not necessarily gone well but of course, you just then go, OK, let's let's see what went wrong there. And you, you, you try it again. Um, and having you know people around you who are, are quite happy to chat through some ideas and, and ways where they've maybe spotted it, not not going as planned and providing their suggestions to um, is, is really useful. Uh, and the last bit is, is making, I guess, making sure you have something that you're wanting to address. So for, for me, I ended up finding this approach because of my my interest in social justice concerns and and actually from a colleague of mine in in my in my undergrads who looked at uh, the body curriculum so was looking at adolescent girls sense of embodiment and how PE could help how, how could have a really important role in in doing that and um, so I, I found this approach actually trying to look look into young people's sense of embodiment so now for, for me moving forward that's that's something I want to look at within my own practices oh young people's critical of of, of media con- content related to health and fitness so yeah having something that that's really motivational with it as a social justice concern I think would help sort of spear you on to look at how this approach could help and is that what is next for you Hamish is that where you're maybe thinking of taking this looking at kind of social media and and the body in that in that area or are you do you have other ideas yeah i guess if you've read 1200 papers that (laughs) could spur a few ideas couldn't it yeah there's there's a a bit of a a mixed bag so um in terms of where i see this this approach moving i'm fortunate enough to be to be leading a, a subject next year which is called like health and well-being across learning um which which i think this would be quite an interesting uh, approach to sort of use within within that uh, and and one element that I think will be particularly interesting following on from this uh, period of home learning where you're providing lots of resources and materials to young people that were from you know s- online sources but were we necessarily critical of who we were linking young people onto so if we were sending them videos like do we actually know who those uh, who had generated that content do young people understand that actually if we send them a link from like a, a, a fitness site that that's not necessarily a realistic idea of where you should be at the moment or have we had discussions around that and um, so I think it, you know looking at age and age and stage appropriate resources and being critical of what those are is quite an instant sort of step as well I think probably a challenge that might have come out of this part of home learning so those are some sort of areas kind of ticking through my head at the moment in terms of inquiry I've just come off doing a, a practitioner inquiry at the school which I found really interesting looking at how you can elicit understanding for a young person uh, who, who was who had selective mutism within one of my classes so in terms of like how I've been using uh, my research approaches this year that I developed throughout my 
the master's process that's been one thing that's been really interesting is it helped me work out you know what has what is a way that this person might be able to achieve a, a qualification through that so yeah a few few uh, things on the go just now it looks like you're teeing yourself up to be invited back so we could hear a little bit about what was going on there because oh we, yeah of course you know, happy to come back <laughs> anytime yeah, Sorry. that's fabulous podcast scene well that's what i was going to say make sure you keep in touch i mean the information and the detail and the understanding that you have around activist approaches has just been fascinating today so thanks for sharing your work with us but it oh, sounds like no it sounds like there's a lot more a lot more in the pipeline for you to come back and and tell us about your work and your learning we'll see how it goes <laughs> fingers crossed that's great and and you know we're recording this as probably many people have realized in, in lockdown uh, and and we're hopefully moving out of that and again that's going to open up possibilities for to do things differently hopefully and that'd be really interesting so yeah great thank you very much Hamish really appreciate thank that welcome thanks very much for having me Well, Andrew, that was really interesting. So lovely to hear Hamish talk about his work. What did you think? Uh, I, yeah, it was just so nice to do. I mean, the energy and enthusiasm, you can see there someone who has, uh, through their undergraduate degree, become interested in a particular area, recognised issues related to social justice, partly because of his experience that he, he shared with us there. And you can see how he is keen to think about that and how that how he could learn more to then have an impact on the, the, the classes and the, and the people that he's working with and um, you know, you've got you've got someone he you know, you've heard him there he's 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 dyslexic and yet he's he's actually sought out and used adaptive technology to you know sift through 1200 papers really get into the de detail and guts of of this activist pedagogy to think about what are the implications for anyone trying to undertake it and then he's made some steps to do that. I think that's um, I think that's really interesting, and and the, and the way that he's taking that on, and you can see how that's going to have an impact in the way he's working with his classes. Yep, I was really impressed with the depth of knowledge he has for a young teacher um, to be able to talk about activist approaches in the way that he does. It almost sounds like he'd been working in this area for years. Um, so he's obviously engaged at a really deep and critical level with the with the research. And what I really like about what he's doing is he's not trying to now do it all at once. Um, he's working in a school. He's being reflective. He's taking some small steps, listening to pupils, thinking about what that whole issue of pupil voice and negotiating means. And he's also started to really be aware of and recognise those groups or individuals within the school who may not be having a great PE experience. And I think those small steps are, are really important and I think also indicate that just that his level of knowledge and level of reflection. So I think they're such a good starting point for someone who's thinking about making some changes to, to the way he teaches. And I, I learned a lot and just reflecting on that idea about negotiation. Just if you do want to negotiate, you've got to develop some skills of negotiation. You've got to be able to work out what the boundaries are, what you can negotiate and how you negotiate with a class. And I think that, that you can see how that gives him the confidence to do that. Because if we just ask a class a big question, what you want to do today, you've yeah. not framed it, you've not structured it in a way that's actually going to be meaningful and helpful. So you could see how that understanding that how to use the, the pedagogical tools within that approach can mean that 
what you do and what, where you reach, that kind of negotiation is going to be meaningful, can have an impact on social justice in a, in a way that makes that a worthwhile set of lessons for viewers to be engaged with. And, and, and that's, that's just really interesting to see how he's doing that. It was a great experience. Yeah. And what what is, is done is what these podcasts are setting out to do is really just getting us to think, think deeply about our own teaching, our classes, our practice and how we might make some small changes. Great. Thanks for listening. That was episode two of our series of podcasts on practitioner inquiry. I hope you enjoyed listening to Hamish. In our next episode, Shirley and I talk to Fraser McCurdy. He discusses how his practitioner inquiry focused on addressing participation rates in PE by making changes to his practice and a whole school approach. We hope you'll listen to that and you can find all the podcasts in this series and more details about the work of our colleagues in the Physical Culture Research and Education Group at our website. You can find us by going to www.ed.ac.uk and putting PCRE into the search bar. If you keep listening, you can hear in full shadowing by Corbin Kites and you can listen to more of the tracks he's recorded by searching for him on YouTube. Until next time, thanks and we hope that you enjoyed listening.